This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're highlighting two bills approved by both houses of the state legislature in June that are designed to strengthen the state's rent stabilization laws and increase tenant protections in regulated housing. To discuss the measures, we're joined by their Senate sponsor, Manhattan Democrat Brian Kavanaugh, who chairs the chamber's housing committee. Welcome back to the program, Senator. It's always great to be here. It's our pleasure to have you. So let's start with legislation addressing what happens with the merger of certain rent-regulated apartments. What's the so-called Frankenstein loophole you're looking to close? So in 2019, with the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act, we closed many uh, loopholes that permitted landlords to deregulate apartments entirely or dramatically increase the rent. And that has resulted in real a lot, a lot greater stability for the million or so apartments that are rent-regulated. Uh, but we've seen a continuing practice of landlords combining two neighboring apartments. And under current law, when they do that, they can basically set a fresh rent from scratch, kind of. And that often means you might be combining apartments that each cost about $800 a month, and you might be proposing a much, much higher rent for the the combined apartment. So what the bill says is basically you can combine apartments, and you can use the existing provisions of the law. There's a provision that allows you to put $15,000 into improvements in a given apartment. So basically, if you combine the two $15,000 allotments and spend as up to $30,000 and get credit for that in the new rent. But basically, the rent for the combined apartment is based on the rent of the existing apartments. Uh, the goal being not to create kind of artificial incentives to combine apartments in circumstances where it might, might not be either economically sensible for the landlord or beneficial for our goal of making, maintaining affordability. So you mentioned the idea of artificial incentives. What's wrong with the structure now as it's playing out? Do you find that apartments are coming off the regulated roles and are leading to consolidated apartments with dramatically increased rents? Yeah, just to be clear, under current law, they don't come off the rolls. It's clear the new apartment remains rent regulated, even under current law, but it could it could be rent regulated at a much higher rent. So gotcha. in my example before, if the two apartments are $800 a piece and you combine them and can get you know a $3,000 apartment because you're setting the rent from scratch, that is a problem for affordability, but it also might cause landlords, for example, to keep one of those $800 apartments off the market for some extended period, hoping that the neighboring apartment might become available and then they'd be allowed to combine the units. And it also just, it might cause them to, you know, combine apartments that are perfectly rentable as is uh, in order to get that much higher rent for the combined apartment. So again, this the system is designed to allow rents to stay stable, allow families to continue to live in, in these units in a stable way and allow a reasonable return for the landlord. Uh, but you know, inducing people to reduce the number of apartments and dramatically uh, increase rents uh, we perceive and are kind of trying to effectuate in this bill is not something that we think is desirable for the housing market. If the governor does sign this legislation, how will you gauge whether apartment building owners and operators are still willing to invest back into their apartment buildings and create the proper level of facilities that they could offer? That's been a broader question that we've been having conversations with. And there are, uh, you know, there have been some proposals to try to uh, 
enhance the ability of landlords to invest in their units. I've also proposed that uh, in circumstances where an apartment is uh, you know, really seriously dilapidated uh, and it's not the fault of the landlord that we might provide some direct capital subsidy for that so that the landlord can get the apartment back in shape without dramatically increasing the rent. This particular provision deals with a pretty narrow uh, circumstance. There aren't, this is not, you know, sort of really large scale uh, combining of apartments going on, but when it does happen, it is it is a diminishment in the uh, housing stock. And so the goal here is to close that. The way we gauge the system is through, you know, the rent registration system. Uh, the Every every rent regular department needs to be registered on an ongoing basis and uh, every year. And so uh, we also are monitoring that data to see uh, how the overall system is working, to what extent vacancies are showing up in the system. And again, the, the data there suggests that the system has largely continued to work pretty well since 2019 when we did the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act, notwithstanding some predictions of, of doom on the landlord side of the ledger back then. But having said that, we are, you know, we're continuing to have the conversation about what it takes to make sure we keep these buildings in good shape. Uh, we also just passed, also in the last day of session, a renewal of something called the J51 program, which is a quite substantial subsidy that the city uses through tax dollars to subsidize rent-regulated uh, housing in New York City. Uh, and again, that's that's in that's been now reformed a bit, but it it will provide substantial incentives and subsidies for landlords to keep their buildings and the apartments in good shape. Well, finally, on this merger loophole issue, is this something that has ramifications outside of New York City? Um, it it technically applies only it applies only to rent stabilized housing. So, in 2019, we made it such that localities around the state can in some circumstances opt into rent stabilization, but currently the only rent stabilized apartments in the state are in New York City and Nassau and Westchester and Rockland County, because there are localities in each of those counties that have successfully opted into the system. So it could theoretically affect other places in the future, but under current law, it only affects those places. Well, for listeners just joining us, we're speaking with State Senator Brian Kavanaugh, a Manhattan Democrat who chairs his chamber's committee on housing. Well, turning to another bill that moved in June dealing with tenant protections, there's legislation that addresses some of the 2019 laws that we talked about and how, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, landlords might be resetting rents in an unfair manner. Can you talk about the issue you're hoping to address with this legislation? Yeah, we have a couple of provisions in, in two bills that we passed through both houses of the legislature that really are intended to clarify the way the law will apply when there is an assertion that a landlord has overcharged the tenant uh, in the past. So when a, when a tenant uh, or HCR, the state housing agency, believe a tenant is a landlord is charging more than they're legally permitted to do, uh, there is typically a, uh, an adjudicatory procedure at HCR and ultimately a court case. And uh, in 2019, we changed the law what was called the four-year look back. And that law said that effectively you could look back as many as four years to determine the consequences of an overcharge. Uh, so if somebody had overcharged for eight years, you could make adjustments to the rent and provide damages for up to four years of overcharges. So we pushed that number back to six years. And we also 
change some of the ways that the the damages of the overcharge are calculated. And in a case called Regina Metro, the highest court in the state, the Court of Appeals ruled that in some ways we exceeded our authority in retroactively applying a new six-year look-back rule rather than a four-year look-back rule. And in some of the changes we made that affected the liability of landlords for their past actions. So it is clear that from Regina Metro, the things that we uh, enacted in 2019 are in effect going forward, but they're not, they can't be applied in circumstance, certain circumstances for actions that ha occurred before 2019. So we have a bill that is intended to clarify now that that provision has become invalid, what is the law with respect to how you calculate rents going forward and how damages are calculated. And again, we think that this is just a codification of existing law as it exists now after Regina Metro and after uh, the uh, Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act. And in some cases, it also, we believe we're codifying the laws that existed well before either of those cases as well. So we're not intending to, you know, there were various um, accusations when we debated this on the floor that we're intending to retroactively apply new standards and reopen cases. The courts have been clear uh, that there are circumstances where we can't do that. And so we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to evade that that court decision, but we think that there is some uh, lack of clarity uh, that is worth stepping in and, and clarifying through statutory language. So in looking at the vote tallies for the two measures that we've talked about, I noted that they were a little bit closer than most of the things that move through both houses of the legislature with uh, some Democrats uh, voting no on both of these issues. Why do you think these were relatively close uh, in terms of Albany votes? Um, I would say that, you know, the vote wasn't particularly, I don't have the, the vote. So in, in the Senate, for example, I think four or five Democrats voted no uh, in the assembly. Uh, it was down into the, the 80s uh, in terms of yes votes. So you're, you're looking at uh, upward of uh, 20 Democrats potentially voting no. So, so, so why do you think this was not necessarily even just a partisan issue, but also one where some Democrats were willing to vote no on both of these? Yeah, I, th I think we only had a handful of Democrats voting no in the Senate. I, I, I will confess, I don't I did not look at the uh, the list of who three, three no's, three no's on one and five no's on the other. And, you know, maybe that's not a big deal. And maybe you'll say that's not a big deal. So what do you think? Yeah, I just I mean, for what it's worth, the uh, we passed the uh, HSTPA in 2019 with 36 out of the 40 Democrats that were then in office. So I think, you know, I, we don't, we're not, you know, we're not monolithic on these issues. I think there were, there was very aggressive, uh, assertions, uh, from various organizations representing landlords that this was unfair to them. And I guess some of my colleagues might've been persuaded by that. And that's, you know, that's, as it should be. We don't, we don't need every Democrat voting the same way in every issue. We do think about these things differently. Um, Sometimes. Uh, and again, it was it was, you know, I got a call from one of the landlord organizations at 630 in the morning, the day we debated that bill to tell me how horrified they were. I think they are overestimating the negative impact. Um, but they, you know, apparently some of my colleagues were persuaded that, by some of these concerns. And that's that's as it should be. But again, we had the great majority of Democrats voting for this and the, you know, the Republicans tend to vote uh, uniformly against uh, tenant protections, partly because many of them don't believe there should be a regulation system at all. 
and they, I, Repu every Republican voted against the HSTPA in 2019. So, so I don't, I don't think it's, you know, I don't, I don't think it's particular. These things are particularly controversial or particularly problematic. But you know, some of my colleagues uh, obviously differed, at least in the moment. Well, we've been speaking with State Senator Brian Kavanaugh. He's a Manhattan Democrat who leads the Chamber's Committee on Housing. Senator, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And for more Capitol Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.